Oops. For those of you on the website, I apologize. You just missed the first five minutes, but I just started the recording. But I want to read to you in Mark. Mark chapter 9, verse 18. And I think this is important. Again, this isn't part of what we're doing, but it is in the fast, which is what we're doing. And you all know this story. It's the story of of the young boy that was the the disciples had tried to cast a demon out of him and they couldn't. And the father brought him to Jesus and said, "But you can cast him out. You know, if you can, will you cast him out?" And Jesus' response was. If, you, if I can, what do you mean if I can? Of course I can. And then Jesus proceeds to cast him out. But the, the disciples ask him later, why couldn't we cast him out? Why couldn't we do that? And his answer was, because there are some things, there are some demonic spirits that require more than just to cast out. It requires a greater authority than what they were getting a hold of at that time. And that authority was something that came through prayer and fasting. In the original manuscripts, some of them include fasting, and I believe that it is in there. And and what that is, is that there is a greater focus on what God wants to do through you. But what I want to point out is verse 19. When, When they were not able to do it, and he was brought to Jesus, and, and his response to them not being able to do it was this. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. In those words, we're given God's reason for us fasting. To build our faith. See, remember, our faith is the very fuel that fuels the will of God. God will never just take your life and force feed anything on you. He won't do it. He partners with us through faith to do and accomplish what He wants to do. So see, there are some things that we fight in life. There are some battles that we fight in life that require a level of faith and a level of authority that we have not come to yet. Or perhaps we're not in at that moment. And so fasting and prayer is required. Why? Because we have to believe. Do you believe that He wants to do something in these 40 days significant in your life? I can tell you from my perspective, absolutely He does. I know He does. It's not even a question to me. He has told me that He does. But do you believe it? See, I can't believe for you. Nobody can believe for you. Oftentimes, the only time someone can believe for someone else is as a child and a parent. Now we can intercede for people. And we do. We do in prayer. Oftentimes, that's why we fast. Because we are interceding for someone else. In this case, we're interceding for our nation. Right? We're interceding for our church. We're interceding for our friends, for our family here. 
And then we're also believing for ourselves. But understand that faith is a huge part of that breakthrough. It's the very fuel that He uses to make that breakthrough happen. So I want to move forward then where we were here. I want you to turn to Job. And we've been talking about the courts of heaven. And this is important to grasp. And I'll tell you why. Because whether you realize it or not, if you're part of this church, you've been called to be a warrior. You've been called to engage in a battle that has been raging for decades and really for millennia. But the church is coming to a point where Jesus Christ is readying His bride and He is teaching us how to engage the enemy in a more effective way than has ever been. In a way that literally sees defeat of the enemy. Taking back territory from the enemy. Taking back land. Remember that land was given when Adam gave it over. Remember, we, we, this was way back to week one. I think that was like four years ago. <laughs> Can't remember when we started this series, but it's been a while. Way back in week number one, we talked about how, how the enemy was given authority because of Adam who sinned. Adam who had authority, Christ, God had given him authority over everything. Over all the earth, Adam had authority. And when he sinned, he gave that authority. He literally took the title deed of the earth, rolled it up, handed it to the enemy. And that is a picture of what we do every time we sin. So last week we talked about what are the things that give the enemy this fuel against us. What are things that keep us from intimacy with Jesus Christ, which is where there is safety? Right? If you are not intimate with Jesus Christ in your relationship with Him, you're vulnerable. You're on defense. And that's where the church has been for much of the 2,000 years that the church has been in existence since Acts chapter 2. The church has been defensive on the defending end of this warfare. And not that there haven't been times of offense. There certainly have. But the church body, the church bride as a whole, has been on the defense. But see, that's not what he intended. And that's not what readies the bride for him to come back. It's important to understand that there is a shift that needs to be made in the body of Christ from defense to offense. And understanding that there is an enemy that does not have authority any more than the authority that we give him. It's really important to understand that. And if you've not heard that before, go back and listen to the last few weeks because we've been through that. But it all keys on intimacy. Authority keys on intimacy. Your authority in Jesus Christ is based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's based on how intimate you are with Jesus Christ. It's not how much you know in the Word. Thank God. 
It's not how good a person you are because I got this list of things that, that I stay away from and as long as I stay away from those, I, I live a good life. This has got nothing to do with that. Those are all byproducts of intimacy. Or they should be. What it is, is how close are you in relationship to your Savior? To the one who bled and died on the cross for you? How intimate are you with Him? See, that's where authority is given. That's where power to face the enemy is given. So we have to look at, and we began to last week, what are things that keep us from that intimacy? What are things that stop that intimacy and put a barrier between us and Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible says sin. Sin does that. But I'm going to say sin on three levels. We began to introduce those last week. We talked about two of them. We're going to talk about one more today. Last week we went over, and, and you, I'll, I'll give you, if you want, you could go back and listen to it. I'll give you the references, but we're not going to look them up and go through them. But three things Satan uses to bring a break in our intimacy with Jesus Christ. And this is literally what gives Satan the right to go before the court and say, I have accusation against them. One is our own sin. One is when we sin ourselves, just like Adam, we give authority to the enemy. We give him a reason to take us before the court. We give a reason to give him authority to mess with us in our lives. Now understand, it's different than him battling us and us battling back. Okay, it's kind of like if you have a base and you have a walled perimeter, it's kind of like opening a back door and saying, come on in, letting a spy in there. So that spy comes in and he understands the full workings of that base. That's what we do when we sin. So it's not just a matter of, well, I'm, I'm really hurting you know, my relationship with the Lord and, you know, but I'll get it back next week because, you know, He promised to forgive and all this. No, what you're doing is you're giving access to the very enemy that wants to destroy you. Not to just mess with you. He wants to destroy you. If it were within His authority to do so, He would kill you. We're going to read that in Job. He wasn't allowed to do that. But that's His desire. See, when you accepted Jesus Christ as, as your Savior, He lost that battle. He no longer can win your soul. Ephesians 1.13 and 14, you are covered, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, you're guaranteed heaven. So His tactics then change. The best He can do is keep your life to where you are not going to be a testimony to others. Be an effective voice for Jesus Christ. So he goes to work on that. And every time we sin, we give, and, and by the way, it's every time we commit a known sin, the Bible says. Because Paul said we sin all the time. We, we, we have sinful flesh. Our literal existence 
is sin. That's not what he's talking about. The fact that you live in a, in a sin-filled fleshly body doesn't mean that you can't have intimacy with Jesus Christ. See, because it's known deliberate sin. It's sin that you have been made aware of and convicted of, and now you have a choice, just like Adam did. That's why the Bible says Adam was not deceived as Eve was. Adam made a choice to sin. And by making that choice, he gave the title deed of the earth over. By you making a choice to deliberately sin, you make a choice to allow a wall to go up between you and Jesus Christ and your relationship with Him. You allow the enemy in the back door to have access to you. Now when you begin to think of of our relationship and, and who we are as the bride of Christ in terms of the courts of heaven, now it begins to make sense why temptation is something that, that the enemy uses to so strongly knock us off our path. Because it gives him the very access that he wants to learn who we are to learn our strategies, to know what our relationship is with Jesus Christ. See, he, as an enemy, is assessing his enemy. Do you get that? That's why this is important. There is probably not a more important thing that the bride of Christ needs to learn in this day and age. And there's a reason for that, which I'm going to get to in a minute. So it's our own sin when we choose to sin. There's the second one, the sin of, and by the way, the, the verses there, if you want to write them down, are Psalm 37, verse 23, and Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Our own sin separates us from the love of Christ. Number two is the sin of our fathers. Or a, you've heard it as a generational curse. We talked about that a little bit last week. And by the way, I know I didn't get into it real deep last week, only because a lot of these we're going to get into in more depth a little later. This, this one on generational curse is really something that, 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 that is almost a sermon in and of itself. Because you hear that and you think, yeah, curses, that, that doesn't even make sense. Well, first of all, he wants you to believe that. But if you practically look at the human experience, you practically look at what God has, has, or what Satan has done to the bride, then you begin to understand that those are real. And last week we went into an example, I'll give you the, it was uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 15 to 21. And, and the predication to that was 1 Kings 16.34, where a curse was called on Jericho. Okay, that curse lasted over 400 years. It wasn't just once the curse happened. And that what the curse was, was if Jericho's rebuilt, you're going to lose your firstborn and your firstborn son. Now, once it was rebuilt... You think, okay, well, the curse is over. That's what the curse was for. No, the curse was on the land. The curse continued until it was broken. And we used some examples last week of, of how 
the, the generational sin is passed down by generation up to the third and fourth. In the Bible, it also talks about that, that in, in the case of a bastard child, in the case of a child born out of wedlock, it goes up to ten generations. But it doesn't stop there. We know that Adam sinned, I don't know how many generations ago that was, and it's still passed down. Why? Because I have the same sinful flesh that he ended up with. That was passed down to me through Adam. That's why Jesus Christ had to come as a man and live a perfect life and be sacrificed on the cross for us. So this idea of generational curse is very real. There is authority given in a generational line that continues through those generations until that's broken. You don't believe me? Look at the strategy of the enemy. I think we talked about this two or three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, whatever it was, when we talked about Genesis 6. When Satan knew out of Genesis 3 that there was going to become a Messiah would be born and would come and die on the cross, he knew that there was a Messiah coming and he would have to be born of man. So what did he do? He began to try and taint the bloodline. And we talked about this. I'm not going to get into this. If you want to check it out, go, go back and listen to it. But he tried to affect the very bloodline. Why? Because of generational curses. Generationally, that sin would be passed down. Now, does that mean that we don't have a choice? Any sin that was passed down in my life from my generations back, does that mean I have no choice over that? No. But that's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. First of all, he wants you to believe that, oh, that's nonsense. That's not true. That's the first thing he wants you to believe. And then when you do believe and you see the evidence of generational curses, he wants you to believe that you can't do anything about it. And that is as much a lie as the fact that they're not there. We can stop that just like Elisha did in 2 Kings chapter 2. And by the way, he was a priest. He was a high priest. So do you have to be a high priest to do this? Yes, you do. To break a curse, you have to be a priest. But when you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you became both a king and a priest. See, you were, the, you were given the authority when you accepted Christ into your heart. You were given the authority to break those curses. Just like they did when they prayed. They prayed and asked forgiveness. When, when Israel was taken out of, when they were released from Babylon, they had been under uh, uh, subjection and servanthood for, I believe, 490 years. Okay, when that was being broken, what was their prayer? Their prayer was, forgive our fathers for what they did. They began with asking forgiveness from their forefathers. And then broke that. Once that was broken, they could deal with what they were dealing with. Now, as you deal with these things yourself, as you deal with your life, then God will begin to reveal how to deal with it. But see, the church has to wake up 
And especially right here, Ignition has to wake up and understand that this is part of preparing you for the very battle that has been waged and we've been given authority to fight in. you got to get it. I know that's what God was saying to me is, Greg, you've got to get this. You've got to get this because you're my warrior. And I need you to understand you have the authority to fight this. See, you don't have to be in your life encumbered by sin, encumbered by by doubt, encumbered by pain, and feel there's no way out. And feel that, well, that's just what God chose for me. Baloney. He didn't choose that at all for you. He sent His only Son to die for you. So His Son... He came and died, so from the Father's perspective, He paid the ultimate, the highest price to give you everything. See, He wants you to have everything. But the enemy wants you to believe you can't. Why does He want you to believe this? (laughs) Because when the church figures this out, and they are, the enemy can't do a thing about it. And what you're going to see over the next several years is you're going to see a surgence of the Bride of Christ standing in authority before governmental monuments, before governments all over the world, and saying no. Not to the government, but to the enemy behind the government. You're going to see people standing up, godly Christian people standing up to the bride that has not followed Him, not followed the Lord, standing up and saying, no. See, we are the bride of Christ and we deserve better. Why? Because He died for it. See, it's not about just taking what we get and not understanding that the enemy has taken so much away from us. Now when we get this, and we are getting this as a church, we have a very unique calling, and this is what I've said to you before. If, you, if you're here at this stage, trust me. I don't know if it means right now, but it will at some point. You are called in leadership of this exact thing that we're talking about. If you are at ignition at this stage, it is because God has chosen you to prepare you for this very battle that we're given the authority to win. That as the bride of Christ, I'll say it again, Revelation 3 verse 9, God is going to prepare His bride who is going to be seen and honored by the world. See, that's the end of the battle. That's the result of the battle. Right now, the the world looks at Christianity and thinks it's a joke. Half of them don't do what they say. The other half don't love. None of them really act like Jesus. You know, this is the world's perspective of the church. And yet, Revelation 3 verse 9 says that they're going to honor us before He returns. That there's going to be a resurgence of His bride, a readying of His bride. 
If you want to know details of that, read, read Song of Songs. Or some call it Song of Solomon. Because that's what that whole book's about. It's not about marriage. I mean, that, that's an application. But it's about the readying of the bride. It's about the ultimate marriage. Right? It's about the marriage between the bride and the groom, Jesus Christ. He is going to ready His bride. He is readying His bride. And if you're here, this is what ignition is called to. We've been given understanding of these things. Turn to Job. The third one, and of course I've already spent longer on that than I thought. The third one that, that Satan attacks, he, our own sin, our generational sin, and the third one is our motives. Okay, I want you to turn to Job. At the beginning, Job, you know, it, it, the first few verses basically say how wealthy Job was, all the kids he had and everything else. Turn to verse 6. Job chapter 1, verse 6. And I want you to picture as we read this, I want you to picture a courtroom. I want you to picture heaven's court and the Father is on the throne. Okay, now this is, this is Old Testament here. Okay, so, so you have the advocate. We don't know who he was. doesn't say. Job is one of the oldest books written in the Bible. We don't know who the high priest was at the time, but that would be the advocate. But this is Old Testament. So I want you to picture a courtroom scene going on. Okay, let's read verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, which are the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came, came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Okay, before we get into verse 7, I want you to understand, court has been gaveled into session. Okay, it's not just Satan pops up and the Lord's sitting there, hey, you know, what's up, where were you? No, this is a legal thing happening here. Okay, Satan came before the court with legal purpose. Right? So that's what's going on here beginning in verse 7. Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? In other words, what do you have for the court today? You have asked for this, this time. What do you have for us today? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? First of all, let me explain something here. God's not throwing Job under the bus. Okay? And it's real easy to think, well, man alive, if he hadn't said that, then Job wouldn't have had to go through what he had to go through. So maybe God had purpose in it. Maybe God did it on purpose just to show His glory. Okay, if you believe that, you have to believe that all His children, all His servants, all His cattle, all His wealth was destroyed simply because God wanted some glory from it. Do you understand? He didn't have to do that. In fact, that's not even what brings Him glory. What brings Him glory is when we are found blameless. So what has happened here is Satan has demanded of the court to be seen. Just like we talked last week about Peter. 
you know, we, we read about Peter being, how Satan demanded to sift Peter, and the word there was to take him to trial. That's what's going on with Job here. And he said, wait a second, have you considered that Job is blameless? You have laid this accusation of Job. You have this, this file of Job here, and Job is blameless before the court. That's what, that's what God said there. And Satan comes back, and he brings the real reason for his accusation. See, his accusation was not that Job was bad, or that Job sinned. Now, by the way, did Job sin? Yeah. Job's human like you and I. He sinned and continues to sin. He, he just all, you know, he, he lived in the same flesh we do. He was a sinful man. But yet God said he was blameless. And that is because it was the intimacy between him and the Father that he took care of. Anything that became known to him, he asked repentance of. And he asked, just as David, David did in the psalm, he asked, show me any wicked way. Show me anything that I'm not aware of so I can ask forgiveness. So because of that, Job was blameless. But as Satan stepped up to the throne, he said, that's not my accusation for Job. My accusation is that he is that way simply because you protect him. Let's read on. Have you not put a hedge around him? and his house, and all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land? And then he said this. He said, but stretch out your hand, and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. There you have the accusation. He was accusing Job of wrong motives. He said, he has all this because you protect him. He has all this because you're good to him. Of course he's going to believe in you. Of course he's going to stand up for you and love you. Why? Because you take care of him. And it's interesting, God's response. See, there must have been something there that Satan could hold on to and accuse in the court of heaven. Because God didn't say, no, you're wrong. See, that had to be played out in court. In the court of heaven. And Job was on trial. So what he say? He said, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. This was the beginning of the trial. This wasn't the whole trial. This was the beginning of the trial. Satan brought an accusation before the court and said, I have a right to test this out. I have a right. And the Lord honored that right because he had to. Because there had to have been something in Job's heart that gave a portion of truth to that. See, apply that to ourselves. Satan comes and he attacks us with our motives. He attacks us not only with our sin, with our generational sin, but why do we do things? 
you look at the church today, and it was in, interesting because, you know, you know my background. I grew up independent, fundamental Baptist, basically. Went through a shift, and then into, into a charismatic belief. But, you know, I see on both ends that the church really misses it. They really don't get what God is saying. See, because motives are important. You know, why, when, as, as I'm growing up and, and, and you're in legalism and you believe in the law, why do you do the law? Well, you do the law so you can have a good life. You do the, the law so something bad won't happen to you. You know what? It's no different with charismatics. Well, okay, why, why do you let the Holy Spirit into your life? Why do you, why do, you do this? Why? Well, it's so I can have a good life. Jesus promised me wealth. There is nothing that bugs me more than something like that. Jesus promised you wealth. Okay, now by the way, He did. He did. He promised you everything. But don't assume that you could put a timetable on that. Because I know He promised that I would judge angels. He promised me that I would reign with Him. Will I see that in my life? No, I I know it's promised in the millennium. I know that when I go to be with Him and He comes and returns in victory, I know I will have a place at His throne to judge angels and to judge the earth at that time. I know that. I'm assuming a position like that comes with a pretty decent salary. <laughs> right? So, so yes, things are promised to us. But the one thing you can count on is He promises if you seek Him, you will find Him. If you come after Him in intimacy, you will have that intimacy. But see, our motives are important. The reason why you do that is important. Are you going after Jesus Christ because, you know, you want an easy life? Because you want friends. Maybe, maybe you're here and, and, and you're hanging out here because you think we're cool. Okay, you're blind, but, you know, aside from that. Maybe your motives are because you have fun. Maybe your mo and, and by the way, those aren't bad things. I love to have fun. I, I have more fun with, with church family than I ever have with anybody. It's fun to be here. We have fun. That, that's why, that's why I, I, I still do college age, because they're just whacked. They're just whacked, and I love it. But it's fun. But that can't be my motivation. My motivation has to be Jesus Christ. My motivation has to be the reason we took communion. My motivation has to be the fact that He died and bled for me. Period. See, my motivation isn't to be the, the best judge and the highest judge and when, when I get to be with you in the millennium, Lord, let me, and I joke about this, but let me govern Colorado. Or at least half of it, just the mountainous half. I don't care about the other half. <laughs> I joke about that, but that can't be my motivation. 
My motivation can't be what I'm going to receive from Him. It has to be that I'm going to receive Him. Do you know what I mean? See, I never understood that. 43 years of being saved, I didn't understand that until just a few years ago as I began to understand that He was way more important to me than anything else. Why? Because I began to understand what the cost was of Him and what it cost the Father. See, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He cost everything for you. It wasn't just what He went through. And we've been through this before. It's important to understand that, that Jesus eternally had loss. Do you understand that? Jesus eternally lost things to die for us. When He decided to say yes to the Father's plan in becoming a man, that wasn't just for 33 years. It wasn't just that, well, become a man for 33 years, die on the cross, you know, spend three, three days in hell, and then it's victory after that. Then you come on back and be God again. It wasn't that. When He decided to become a man, He took on the eternity of man. He did not act as God when He was on this earth. In fact, I would challenge you to find anything in Scripture that says that He acted as God when He was here. He had the opportunity to. That was part of His temptation. Because Satan said, you know, the, the Scripture says if you just cast yourself off, the angels will come and give you a nice little float down so you don't hurt yourself. So, so just jump off and, and be God. See, Satan wanted him to be God because if he would have been God as man, he would have disqualified himself to dying for us. Because it had to be 100% man that died for man. Why? Because man is 100% man is who gave it up. Adam gave it up. It took a man to redeem it. But understand, in, in choosing to do that, it wasn't just for those 33 years. It said when Jesus returns and we come with Him for the millennium, for His second coming, it says He comes as a man. It says He comes to take the throne of David. Okay, the throne of David is a physical throne. It is a man's throne. When it said that Jesus ascended to heaven and He sits at the right hand of the Father, it doesn't say that He sits on His throne. Do you understand that? That since He rose from the grave and ascended to the Father, Jesus has not been on His throne. He sits to the right of the Father. He, he sits in preparation for the very throne He's supposed to take, which is here on earth. He's going to come back and He will physically reign here on earth. And we will physically reign with Him. He took on manhood eternally. That's why, you, that's why now Jesus Christ is not omnipresent. Jesus can only be physically, He can only be one place at one time. Now he can, His Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, who is the Holy Spirit, can be many places 
all at once. But the physical aspects of Jesus Christ can only be one place at one time. How do I know that? Because the Word of God, Jesus said that you will have the same glorified body that I have. That we will have, when we, glo- when we die and go through the glorification or when we're taken up to heaven in the rapture, we will be given the same glorified body that He has. And we don't get to be omnipresent. <laughs> Why? Because man is not made in that spirit. And neither were angels. Only God. And if you're confused about Jesus' authority, well, if he became a man, did he lose that authority? No. He operated when he was in his ministry here on earth, he operated under the authority of his Father. Just as you and I do now. See, he was an example of how we're to operate in that authority. And when he ascended, when he rose from the grave, the Father in front of everybody else said, This is my Son. I lift his name above all names. I give him all the honor, all the power, all the authority of heaven. See, if Jesus had that authority on earth, the Father would not have had to give it to him when he rose from the, from the grave. But he did. So the Father gave that authority to man. In Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who is our leader. So it's important to understand that our intimacy with Him, which is where we, we were going with this, our intimacy with Him is the most important thing. And Satan will come and he will attack our motives. So it's important that your motives are pure. It's important that your reasons for going after that relationship with Christ are good, are right. Otherwise, he's going to attack them. And he gains access through the back door any way that he can attack us. And, and we'll, we'll talk about in the, in the future what some of that means. We'll begin to talk next week about what's it mean when he gains access? What's it mean when he has authority in our lives? How does that really affect me? And more importantly than that, how do I fight that? How do I fight when he's gained access in my life? But in closing, I I, want to read something to you. And this is what he gave to me on Thursday. And I want you to turn to John chapter 14. And, you know, I love John. John is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It, it talks about the love of Christ and, and you know, his, his whole... The Gospel of John is written through the lens of love. And, you know, what we're going to be reading here is, is where the, the Holy Spirit is promised. Let's start in John fourteen twenty six. Now, this is toward the end of Jesus' ministries with the disciples, right? And he's not going to be with them, you know, hardly any anymore. And he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, I want to point something out here. He didn't just say the last part. 
He didn't just say that he'll bring to remembrance everything that I've taught you. See, because everything that Jesus taught the disciples wasn't written. Okay? Hand-to-hand discipleship was going on between Jesus Christ and 12 men. John said, if you were to write everything that Jesus Christ did, everything that he told us, the world couldn't hold the volumes of books. So don't assume that Jesus just didn't talk that much and everything he said is written in these Gospels. Now there's nothing that he would say that would disagree with this. I want to make sure that's clear too. I'm not saying he's going to give us some new revelation and all of a sudden we're going to be on spaceships going to some... You know, no. He, what he says always in his, is in agreement with himself. Why? Because he's truth. But that's what he says here. He says, I send, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. See, this applies to us today. He will teach us all things. Does that mean he automatically does that? No, it's just like if you want to learn something, you've got to go to school. If you want to learn something, you've got to open the book. If you want to learn something, you've got to ask the teacher. If I'm sitting in class and I don't understand something, I've got to go up and I've got to ask the teacher, what do you mean by this? I remember in 1986 I took a taxation class. Okay, it was a joke. Because in 1987 all the tax law changed. And he said, the first day of class, he said, he said, you've got to do this so you can get a grade. He said, but I've got to tell you, everything you learn is not going to do anything for you. Because it's all about to change. That's when Reagan came in and he changed everything. right? So I asked the teacher. I went up to him after class. See, I'm learning. I want to, I want to know so I can better affect what I need to do. And I know this is kind of a joke, but hope, hopefully you'll get the, get the example. You know, I asked him, if that's not going to make any difference, why do I have to learn it? And he said, well, you need the grade. I said, so what you're telling me is if I just get a good grade, that's all it's going to be based on. He said, yes. I never showed up for class anymore. He never said I had to be there. He never said any. I did not show up until the final exam, which was at the end of the semester. And I had had him for one other class, and I think he assumed I dropped the class. And I went in and sat down for the, for the exam, and he goes, Mr. Twiddell, what are you doing in class today? I said, well, sir, I'm here to take the final exam because it's half of my grade. And he said, oh, I thought you dropped this class. And I said, no, that's why I came up to you and asked. I asked what was, what was necessary, what I needed to do. And long story short, he, he, I ended up getting a B-plus in the, in the class. <laughs> so as a person that is learning, right, we go and we ask. We're, we're learning of what's going on here. If you do that in your own life, you have to access the Holy Spirit. He's not just going to stand there and, and tell you what you need to know. You've got to go and ask. And in terms of how it applies to you, because see, everybody else went to class. So apparently it applied to them differently. 
I went to two classes and I got a B plus. Because I went to him and I asked. I wanted to learn more about what he was saying. What, what are you really requiring? See, when the Holy Spirit wants to teach us, he wants to teach us individually. He never changes what he teaches. But believe me, it is different what he reveals. There will be things he reveals to you only because you asked. Only because you sought him. And I want to point that out because that's what happened. I want you to turn to chapter 16. That's what happened to me in chapter 16. We have just a couple of minutes left here. Let's start in verse 7. And, it, and again, Jesus is talking to the disciples. They're, they're very upset that he's leaving, that he's saying he's leaving. And, and he said, don't worry, you know, when I leave, trust me, you want me to leave. Because when I leave, I'm going to send a teacher to you. I'm going to send, or the Father is going to send a helper to you. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Remember in, in chapter 14 who the helper was. The helper is the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I've read that a thousand times. And until I read it Thursday morning, asking the Holy Spirit to just speak to me. I didn't see it for what it is. See, this is a threefold plan of the Holy Spirit. This is what He is sent to do. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, that allowed and paved the way for God to send the Helper. But He's sent here specifically to do three things. And we just read them. Let's go through them again. Concerning sin... Okay, we all know the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit reveals sin to us if we ask. Okay, but concerning sin, why? Because they don't believe in me. Okay, he, he convicts us of sin to have more intimacy with Jesus Christ. I think we all know that one. That one's pretty easy. We've learned that one. We know that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, right? The next two are what floored me, especially the third one. Verse 10, concerning righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What does that mean? How does he teach us righteousness? And why has it got anything to do with Christ? Okay, remember what's going on here. Jesus has been with, well now... 11 people, but he has been with the disciples. He's been pouring into them for three years. He's been teaching them. They hang on his every word. He's been teaching them about his Father. He, he says that the only thing I have said to you is what the Father has said to me. And everything that the Father has said to me, I have given to you. So I have just been a funnel of the Father to you. And what he's saying here is, I'm about to leave. 
I won't be that funnel for you anymore. I can't be because I'm a man. And when I go to the Father, that's where I have to be. But he's saying the Father will send a replacement. And the Father will send a helper that will help to teach you how to have intimacy with me. So the Holy Spirit teaches us righteousness. He teaches us that relationship with Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit only says what the Father tells Him to say. And He always speaks of Jesus Christ. So everything that you see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit does, it always points to Jesus Christ. It always points to further enhance that relationship that we have with Jesus. So that was the second thing. He came and He is here to reveal my sin so that there are no blocks between me and Jesus. But more than that, see, it doesn't just stop with not sinning. Intimacy doesn't come because you stop doing something. Right? Intimacy comes when something is replaced. That sin is replaced with eager going after. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Is He teaches us that relationship with Jesus Christ that we can eagerly go after intimacy with Him. And He teaches us righteousness. Righteousness is produced from that intimacy. It isn't produced from lack of sin. If you ever wonder that, read Hebrews chapter 11. All those guys sinned. I mean, look at David. David was a murderer. He was an adulterer. And yet, he is in the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. He was blessed before the Lord. He was blessed of God. Why? Because he sought Him in righteousness. The righteousness came as a result of his intimacy with Jesus Christ. With the Messiah. And then the last one. Concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. I used to read that like judgment of the world. And that's what he opened my eyes to. It's not judgment of the world. It's judgment of Satan. It says, and judgment, because why? The ruler of this world is judged. Satan is judged. Why does the Holy Spirit have to come here and teach me that Satan is judged? What's that got to do with my intimacy? It doesn't. But it has, from my perspective, it has to do with yours. And yours, and yours, and yours. See, the Holy Spirit has come to teach me that I am to be a warrior. I am to be a warrior for the bride. For those who don't know, I am to be a warrior. He is here to teach me that Satan is judged. And that before the courts, he has already been judged. So He is here to teach me and teach you how to access the courts of heaven to be on the front lines of that warfare to literally take land from the enemy. To beat Him back to a point where His influence is not the same. You have to believe that. You have to believe that that is one of the reasons, the third reason why the Holy Holy Spirit was sent here. 
And I sit back and I think, you know, I, I've never heard of this concept of the courts. And then there's another thing we're going to get into, the concept of stealth and fighting without being seen. Those two things I've never heard of until just the last six months. God began showing me about the courts of heaven. And, and then he introduced me from, from, to a guy on TV, Robert Henderson, who, who just added so much meat to that. And, and now I'm, I, I, I'm starting to see, I, I finally finished a, a, a book that Bryn gave me or told me to read like a year ago from, from uh, uh, Wendy Alec. And, and at the, you know, all throughout the end of that is about the courts. And, and I'm starting to see that he is teaching his bride that we have authority in the court. And it isn't just to help us. But it is because of what this verse says. It is because the ruler of the world is judged. Because Satan himself is judged. We have to understand that. Because he's calling us to go before the court in agreement with Jesus Christ to suppress what the enemy has done. When you look at the lives of people that know Jesus Christ but are lost, they, they don't have intimacy with Him. That ought to enrage you. Not because of them, but because of what access the enemy has and what the enemy has done. He does it through deception. Man, he's good at deception. He's good. That's so much deception is going on today, even in the political realm. He's good at deception. But see, God is calling His bride to stand up and understand that He is teaching us how to fight this in the very court where it can be changed. Why? Because we have authority to. When we accepted Jesus Christ, we became kings and priests. So we have access to the court. We have access through our advocate, Jesus Christ. But we have authority in Him to do this as well. That's critical what He's teaching us in these, in these things. Let's bow before the Lord.